She'll get, get another one ready now because we're going to be ready for another, another one of those. I, I told you my son, my youngest boy, he'll be uh, 30 next month, young, young man. Uh, I was old when he was born. And uh, he, uh, he didn't want to take piano lessons anymore. He wanted to use his music money to eat ice cream with, and uh, that's what most of us did with our music money. And uh, anyway, he said, Daddy, could I play a different instrument? And I said, sure. I said, what do you want to play? He said, I want to play trumpet. And so we bought him a trumpet. And uh, he, as I told you, every moose in our neighborhood came for the first couple of two or three months uh, when he played that thing. But he became a pretty good trumpet player, a very good trumpet player. We had an orchestra. He played songs from Foundation Brass and some of those uh, numbers. And this week... uh, that water got into my garage, got some of my books, a bunch of stuff wet, and I found um, a box that had gotten wet, and I threw everything out in it except one little tag. And it's where I went to Charleston and bought a used flugelhorn for him, and uh, I saw the tag off of that flugelhorn, and I wanted to give it to him. I said, now, son, this has been about 18 years ago. We went and bought a used flugelhorn. I don't know what's the difference between a trumpet and a flugelhorn. I never know a difference between the two of them, but something's different between the two of them. And he began to play that flugelhorn as well as the trumpet and uh, in the orchestra that we had in our church. And I, I love the brass uh, song. That, that was just tremendous today and all the music. I just appreciated it very much. And I love the song, All the Way My Savior Leads Me. I like that. That's one of my favorite. It's one of the 46 songs I want sung at my funeral service. And so <laughs> I like that a lot. Let's take our Bible today and turn to Philippians chapter 4. I hope that if you have not signed up, you married couples have not signed up for the Valentine banquet. Uh, there's 20 or more people signed, couples signed up so far. Uh, uh, if a couple of you say, well, $20 is just a little steep for us right now, then uh, come to the preacher. He'll try to help you out with that. I'm going to speak on words of love, uh, words of love for about 20 to 25 minutes. Uh, on uh, Saturday night, and we would look forward to you coming. Uh, make a, make a plans to do so. You say, well, preacher, I've never been to a Valentine banquet here at, at the church. I never have either, but I'm, but I'm coming. I'm coming anyway, and uh, looking forward to it. Marco's going to cook the prime rib, and y'all going to, we've got all kinds of sides coming in. It's going to be good food, good fellowship, a lot of fun together, and looking forward to it. Philippians chapter 4, we're looking today at a portion of this fourth chapter that deals with contentment. The Apostle Paul is in prison. He's writing to this church. I've been preaching now for several months. I took a month off during December to preach some messages concerning the incarnation of Christ. But we've been looking at this book of Philippians. Paul is in prison in Rome. He is... uh, chained to a a guard on a rotating shift. He's in an an apartment room. He can actually take guests, can come in. He can't go out to minister as he has uh, many years as as the uh, preacher and the missionary. But he can have people come in and uh, he has got Epaphroditus is going to deliver this letter. We'll talk about that uh, um, mainly next week and the gift that's given uh, by the church. The church is delivering a, a, a missionary gift to him and uh, he says here in the fourth chapter though we're going to begin reading 
and verse 10. But I rejoiced, and the word joy and rejoice is the theme, is the theme of this book. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, when you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. And he, they didn't know where to send the gift, how they could meet his needs, but they took up an offering and gave to him. We'll preach about that next week. Uh, but he says, I'm going to rejoice the fact that uh, your care of me has been very special. Paul had had a part in starting the church. Acts chapter 16 started the church. It had been about 10 years now uh, since the start of the church and until verse 10. And then verse 11. Not that I speak in respect of want. And notice this. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I've learned whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Have very little or to have very much. Everywhere in all things I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. And then this verse. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Father, we pray that you would use your word today in each of our lives. I pray, God, that you would help us to learn, just like the Apostle Paul, we would learn the virtue of contentment in our life. And I pray that, God, today you would show yourself to be strong. Lord, teach us today something that would make us more like you. Help us to go away from this place different than when we came in. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in a, in a country that's very discontented. People are not satisfied. I, I'm not talking about here, this, this passage is not dealing with whether you're satisfied with the government or you're satisfied spiritually. We're not satisfied spiritually. I've been a Christian 53 years. I mean, we still ought to be pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. No, we're not what we all ought to be but we ought to be in meeting of our physical needs and in the circumstances we find ourselves, we're to be content. The virtue of contentment. Sometimes the word is translated satisfied or it's translated in a couple of verses to be sufficient, to be sufficient. He says, I have learned in whatever state I am therewith to be content. 1982, the first church I pastored was in Houston, Texas. I traveled to start a church in Houston, uh, left in August of 1982 to move to Houston, Texas. And when I look at that text, I realize that probably when he says, I've learned in whatever state I am there, we have to be content. He probably wasn't from Texas. <laughs> he probably wasn't from Texas. He's not talking about what state in the country you're from but our state that we find ourselves in circumstances of life. I uh, told the class today at our discipleship class, I, uh, many years ago when my kids were real young, uh, we would go by on, Christ, on uh, Thanksgiving night, we would ride by, we lived in the Harbison area, Irmo, South Carolina, outside of Columbia. I was pastoring a church there for 10 years before my wife passed away and while I was in ministry. And we passed by a Best Buy store and they were lined up already on 
on Thursday night, they were already lined up on the sidewalks with little tents and blankets and stuff to be able to get stuff in the store at Best Buy on Good Friday. Oh, my kids, they just said, Daddy, can we please do that? Could we, could we please spend the night all night out there? I mean, these are people who, are, who covet and who want to have, they got to have the best computer, the best phone, or the best whatever, they, and they're going to stay all night outside the store waiting on that. And I said, well, you know what we ought to do. I said, wouldn't it be neat for us to go and get the tent and some blankets and, and you know, honey buns. That's my favorite. Honey buns. And, and we'll, we'll, stay, we'll stay all night. And then at 5 o'clock in the morning, when they start lining everybody up to get in the door, we'll go through and they take a ticket to get a number. And they'd say, sir, what can I help you with? And I would say, do you have AA batteries? I just want to know if you had AA batteries. <laughs> We're not content in this country. We, we uh, stay overnight. We're not content concerning cars, our careers, our cuties, our cash. They all start with C. Cars, careers, cuties, and cash. We got to have a bigger house. We're, uh, we're living in somebody else's starter home now, uh, now that we're retired, uh, living in somebody else's starter home. Uh, we don't want a bigger house. You got the dust and clean, and then all the grandkids could come if we got a bigger house. I mean, <laughs> all 21 of them could come at one time. Right now, we got to be limited. We started out in, a, in an apartment a couple of times. Uh, a lot of young people today don't know how to start at the bottom rung. Have you noticed that? Uh, we took uh, tables out of the barn to use and uh, took some apple crates and put cloth over the front of them to make kitchen cabinets out of in our first uh, place that we lived. But we started out in an apartment and a couple of different rental houses, uh, a townhouse for a while, uh, where you could hear all your neighbors. And uh, then we lived two different times in the church building itself, starting a, a church in Sherall, South Carolina. I lived in the nursery for two and a half years. In the church in Whiteville, Linda and I both lived inside the church building in a prophet's chamber for over two years. Did you know we were never late for church? We were... <laughs> Sometimes on Sunday night, I would say, look, y'all got to go on home. Said, we're getting ready to go to bed. And uh, <laughs> it wasn't too bad at all. I lived in a single wide trailer in Greenville when I was in seminary. And it wasn't that bad at all. Uh, I mean, you could touch from one wall to the other. And it didn't take you long to go from one end of the house to the other. Uh, and we need to learn to be whatever God supplies. Learn to be content in whatever state we are in. Paul learned it. It was not something that came automatically to him. What does this not mean? It doesn't mean that I have to live with no income and let the government take care of him for the rest of my life. It doesn't mean that I will never go to school again. Okay, I uh, said, well, I, when I graduated from Clemson in civil engineering, I vowed I don't want to go to school anymore. I don't ever want to go to school anymore. But of course, I've been in school all my life. A school of hard knocks. I've been in a school of hard knocks all my life. And I, uh, so 
God called me to preach in 1977, 1978. I entered graduate school in seminary. I had never been in graduate school in all my life. And uh, I took, I squeezed three years into four years. And uh, I worked a job running a janitorial company, uh, cleaning belks at McAllister Square. There's no such thing as McAllister Square anymore, but there was a belk store there. We had a, a cleaning company and we ran that cleaning company to clean belts at McAllister Square. I uh, went through seminary and then I said, when I got that diploma in 1982, I said, I'll never go back to school again. Three years later, I started the Doctor of Ministry program and traveling in January and July from Houston, Texas, back and forth. I wrote a dissertation and then finished in 1992 uh, in a doctor of ministry program and I am still in school today because I find I still need to study this book. I need to study God's word and I'm still in school today. Learning, trying to learn everything I can about God and about his word. We're still in school again. It doesn't mean, well, I won't ever ever take any more schooling anymore or I'm not going to finish my GED. I talked to a fellow uh, yesterday who said he had finished his GED. I've encouraged people to do some things like that in their own life. It does not mean that. It does not mean, well, I'm content. I'm just going to stay right, right where I am. It does mean that whatever God supplies in, in his provision, we're going to be satisfied. Whether it's to a base, to have a, a lot or, to, or very little, we're going to be satisfied that God is meeting our needs I thank the Lord for the folks in our church here. Many of them uh, call to the mission field. Those that we're supporting on the mission field were the sending church for several uh, families that are going to the mission field. And I thank the Lord for those who have learned contentment. They've learned that in the will of God, God is promised to meet their needs. He will supply their needs. We'll look at that next week in verse 19 of this same text. What is contentment? What does it mean to be contented? There's a Puritan preacher, last name Burroughs, that talks about contentment and what it means to be contented. And he says that contentment is being satisfied, realizing God's wisdom in every circumstance of our life. That he is, he is orchestrating the circumstances of our life. And there are steps in these verses that we're look, looking at today, I believe, steps to contentment. First of all, there in verse 11. Notice we had already looked for the last couple of weeks, we've looked at verse 6. Uh, Be careful for nothing, don't worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Notice that attitude of gratitude. Let your request be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep or guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And then last week we preached on the two imperatives of two verses, verses 8 and 9. There were two imperatives. One is to think, and the other is to do. It says in verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, Whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, here's the command, think. Think on these things. Consider these things. 
Verse 9, those things which you have both learned, and notice he's learning here, uh, growing spiritually, and he's learned contentment in verse 11. He says, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, and here's the command, do. So think and do was the, the message last week. And it says, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Did you know that first of all, the first step in contentment is trusting in God's providence. Trusting in God's providence. That means God putting the pieces of the puzzle together in our life, moving behind the scenes even when we don't see him at work. The book of Esther in the Old Testament is a tremendous book on the providence of God. Her name means, Esther means God sees, and yet God's name is never mentioned in the book of Esther. God's name is never mentioned in the book of Esther. But as you study that little book of Esther, you realize that God, even when the curtain closes, that God is working behind the scenes. He's orchestrating our life. He is orchestrating our life. And the first step to contentment is trusting in God's providence. That God knows what he's doing and he's moving behind the scenes. And then verse 12 of chapter 4. I know both how to be abased and how to abound. Everywhere in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. The second step is trusting in God's provision. Trusting in God's provision. I remember when I was in seminary, I left an engineering job, and I, I was an engineer for five years with the South Carolina Department of Transportation. And we left and went to seminary, and I didn't know where I would work. Uh, I mean, I, I, I didn't know where I'd work at all. And I couldn't work... Uh, a full-time job and try to go to school, I needed to do something that was about 15 to 20 hours a week. And so I went and uh, applied at Bluebell Trucking Company. And that they make, uh, a transport the buttons and zippers and all for Wrangler blue jeans. Some of the heaviest boxes I've ever lifted in my life. Uh, and... Uh, and a, and a yell would come out in the warehouse, tow motor, and you would, he'd have a tow motor come, and it would pick up, pick up the, the, the pallets of, of um, zippers and uh, buttons and all the kind of things. We were shipping them to different places around the country. And uh, so I worked there and went to work for minimum wage. Some of you uh, don't realize that uh, I was an engineer, and I hired people. Uh, I hired people that just ran a shovel. They didn't have a driver's license. All they could do was run a shovel and couldn't run one of them very well. It took five of them sometimes. But anyway, uh, we hired those back in 1977. I hired those guys for $2.12 an hour uh, to run a shovel. They couldn't run a car or a truck, but they could run a shovel. And uh, you wonder how in the world did those folks live back then? But when you went to the grocery store back in those days, you could tote two or three bags of groceries out, and they said, how much was it? About 10 bucks. It wasn't very much at all. Now you can just get you one little thing that did a lot like that, and they say it's $150. Now, come back. 
But if guess what? God provides. We trust in God's provision is the second step in contentment. I know how both to be abased and how to abound. Everywhere in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then the next step, trusting in Christ's power. Trusting in Christ's power. This 13th verse, my wife that passed away, this was her life verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not, not I can do all things. I can't do all things. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I can trust, if I'm going to be content in the circumstances that God has placed me in, I must trust in Christ's power and in his strength. He's the one that's undergirding me, undergirding us as believers, holding us up in the middle of all of these circumstances that God has us in at this particular time. You say, well, preacher, if we're going to learn contentment, and these are the steps, what else do we need to learn? Look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy 4 and chapter 6 also give us some other things about contentment. And he talks to us about godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment is great gain. 1 Timothy chapter 4 beginning in verse 7 the last part of that verse says, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. The word exercise is the word gymnos from which we get our word gymnasium from. It sounds like work to me. It sounds like work to me. It says, exercise thyself rather unto godliness. For bodily exercise profiteth little. Some of y'all have taken that as your life verse. Bodily exercise profiteth little. It says it does profit a little. But notice it says, but godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is and that which is to come. And uh, then down in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, chapter 6, just over a page in my Bible, it says in verse 5, it says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and is certain we can carry nothing out. We, we try to accumulate believing that what the world has to say is that the one who dies with the most toys wins. But that's not the truth. As you know, I've worked many years part-time as a pastor. I've worked at funeral homes. I've got a funeral to work this coming Tuesday in Rock Hill at Green's Funeral Home in Rock Hill. Did you know I've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse in my life? Never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse in my life. I pastored in uh, Texas, I said, for eight years. And as soon as I got over there, it wasn't long after I got there, a preacher told me a story about a fellow down on the King Ranch. I mean, you've seen some of these trucks, pickup trucks got King Ranch trucks. And there is actually a King Ranch in Texas. And you drive for miles and miles and you're still in the King Ranch. Bunches of cotton, 
I mean, we've, we've been down there several times going to Mexico. And uh, so a fella said one time, he said, you know, um, he said, my neighbor, he owned a big ranch and, and he died. And the question that guy asked is, how much did he leave? And the fella said, all of it. All of it. He didn't take a bit with him. Didn't take a bit with him. Uh, Mary Lee, you got that new vehicle. I was down in Texas and I, they told me a story about a Texan down there who uh, met a boy from West Virginia who came to Texas. And we had most of the people in our church were not from Texas. They were from Michigan or uh, Pennsylvania or from somewhere else or foreign countries. We had a lot of people from different countries. And this boy from West Virginia met this Texan and the Texan told him, he said, I can tell you something. He said, I got a pickup truck that when I crank that thing up, that ranch I have is so big I can drive all day without getting to the other side of that ranch. And that old boy from West Virginia said, yeah, I used to have a pickup truck like that myself. <laughs> it hardly stayed cranked. We're going to leave it all. We're not taking anything with us. It says, notice, it says in verse 8 of 1 Timothy 6, and having food and raiment, clothing, let us be therewith, and there's our word, content. Let us be content. We're told also, it says verse 9, but they which be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown many in destruction and perdition for the love of money is the root of all evil. Notice it doesn't say money is the root of all evil. It's that love for, it's the, it's the office of, of contentment is that covetousness which the Bible says is idolatry by the way. Covetousness which is idolatry in Colossians chapter 3. For the love of money is the root of all evil, which some have coveted after. They have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Sounds like the fruit of the Spirit, doesn't it? Follow after the fruit of the Spirit not chasing what this world has to offer and what we can accumulate down here. Paul became satisfied with a little. He was satisfied when God gave him a lot. He was satisfied no matter what the circumstances. And we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, we won't look there today, but verses 23, Three to 33 talks about all the different things that happened to him, being shipwrecked and beaten with rods and all kinds of things that he had, had happened to him. He learned how to both be abased and to abound. He learned how to have a little and how to have a lot. But what was the key for Paul as he set his affections on things above? Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2. He was living with eternity's values in view. Living with eternity's values in view. You and I can, first of all, trust in God's providence. He is in control. We can trust 
God's plan as well for our life. He orchestrates the plan for our life. We can trust Christ's power to strengthen us and to sustain us in every circumstances of life. I can be satisfied in the situation God has placed me in. Matter of fact, this word not only used here, but and used in Hebrews chapter 13. I'd like for you to turn there with me, if you will. Hebrews chapter 13. Many of you know part of verse 5. Some of you could quote it from memory, the end of verse 5 of Hebrews chapter 13, where he said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. But how about the first part of that same verse? Hebrews 13, 5, let your conversation or your manner of life be without covetousness and be content. That's a command. And be content, he says, with such things as ye have. And then he says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. These are steps to contentment in our Christian walk. We are in a society, people are watching us, by the way. They're wanting to know whether our Christianity is real or not. And if we're just today, by the way, every Sunday is Super Sunday, and every Sunday night service is Super Sunday night. I just want to remind you of that. Did you know that a 30-second commercial for 70 to $90 million is not worth it? But they're going to flash things up in front of people, whether it's Lay's potato chips or whether it's going to be a Milky Way candy bar or what they're going to put up there. They're going to put it in front of you because they believe that if you can see it, you'll want it. And you said, I've got to have it. And it's worth millions of dollars to those that are advertising. They're taking advantage of the fact that America is not really content. We're not satisfied with what we have. We've got to have more and more. One wealthy man said, I don't want all of the land in the world. I just want all the land that touches my land. I read a statement by Vanderbilt's up here from Biltmore House that had the Biltmore House. And they talked about the misery that came with the millions of dollars that they had. Joyce Ferguson and Shirley uh, and Bill from the Memphis, Tennessee area. You go to Memphis, uh, I never went inside. I don't really care about going inside. I think they're charging you $35 to go inside of Graceland now. I didn't want to go inside of Graceland. But did you know that that man, Elvis Presley, had a lot of money, but he couldn't buy happiness. He couldn't buy happiness. The Apostle Paul found himself, he said, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Is contentment motivated by godliness a virtue in my life and in yours? If not, why not? Let's bow for prayer. Father, for you...
you can take your word and hit us right between the eyes and right in the heart with a passage such as this today. Help us to learn in whatever state we are therewith to be content. May that be a virtue that you're working on in our life as you develop us by the word of God, by prayer, by fellowship with other Christians, being in a church where we're encouraged to live for God, encouraging one another in the things of God. Help us to grow in godliness because godliness with contentment is great gain. Father, if there's one here today without Jesus Christ as their Savior, I pray that today they'd come to know him. Would talk to us after the service and say, look, could somebody show me today how I could be saved and know it? Father, I pray today that you'd teach us today to be content with the circumstances you've placed us in. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.